Hi, Bianca. Hi, Ellie. We're at my house today recording. Yes. Nap time recording session is on. I know. It's always at nap time. Except Sabrina naps a little bit later than Magnolia. She's a big kid. She is a bit. She's two very soon. She's so crazy. I can't even believe it. Did her one nap always start out later or did you it kind of evolve oh, no we had to push it yeah it's kept like baby steps yeah push 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 and now it's at like 130 oh that's nice sometimes even two but then i worry about her getting, getting. up too late before going yeah. back to bed at seven yeah it's a titillating um, conversation it is a titillating conversation she did have her first uh dance class last oh my god sunday did you and cry? it was adorable and i cried yeah i cried it was like all the moms got to dance with the kids so it was really fun to participate and they learned things like taking turns which sabrina's never had to do in her life so that was interesting for her to have to like wait her turn to do something they wore little tiaras at one point and oh they danced around like maniacs and they even had a disco ball going in the dark for some of it it was really fun and super creative, and it made me miss dance. Oh, you in know the years what? and years and years I did it. It's so cool with our kids that you get to have these little experiences that either kind of bring you back to childhood or you know you get to do something that you maybe didn't get to experience in childhood. Last night, my neighbors, there's a little f- parking lot that has food trucks on Thursday nights during the summer by our house, and it's great because it's super low-key like it's not crowded there's only about like six to eight food trucks so we all walk over there we have a little gang of like four or five families and we get our food from the food trucks and then we usually go back to one of the people's house on our street and one of our neighbors have turned their carport into they've put fake grass down so it's like this whole area has a huge gate so you can close it off and it's like you're all snug as bugs in there and we were all sitting eating our little picnic food and the kids were playing. And as a kid, I longed for that neighborhood where everyone like you could walk out your door and say hello because we lived in a very rural kind of removed like our driveway was almost a mile long just to get up to our house. <laughs> and I just sat there for a second. I was like, this is heaven. Like this is what I always yeah. wanted. You Block know? party. Block party. Woo. Totally. So so awesome when you have those moments i feel like I sometimes parenthood is just about like crying all crying <laughs> in these like beautiful moments and then everyone thinks you're a wacko because <laughs> why are you crying because it's so beautiful like, because she's doing a passe <laughs> we have a great guest today this is one badass midwife yes she she came to us actually via another guest our guest aaron hudson who you guys will remember talking about her three planned c-sections and and Aaron had had linked me to a post that that Elizabeth Bachner, our guest, had done on Instagram. I just wrote, "Oh my God, we'd love to have you on the show," and she agreed. And so, voila, she's here today. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. Um, with a degree in child psychology from Tufts University, Elizabeth is uniquely in tune with the full spectrum of family needs around birth and baby planning. In addition to serving Los Angeles-based families as a practicing midwife, both at home and in her well-established Silver Lake Birthing Center, Graceful Birthing, Elizabeth is featured as a leading expert on shows including the doctors vh1's love and hip-hop hollywood and little women la and now atomic moms yes okay and right before we jump in we want to share how elizabeth discovered that midwifery was her calling so here you go we're gathered on the hill of Topanga, and Anna Verwall's leading a circle of women, and everyone's going around to say why they're becoming doulas. And a lot of the answers that came up are usual, like, I had a bad birth experience, and I don't want women to have that, or I love babies. And I'm, I'm getting really confused, and they come around to me, and they're like, you know, why are you becoming a doula? And I'm like, because I'm getting these dumb dreams. <laughs> and uh, they're coming every night, and, you know, I put my hands out, the babies are born into them, I look up, I go, I don't know what to do. So Anna Verwall turns with her long dark hair to meet my eyes and she goes you have received the calling and I am like what the fuck are you talking about you have received the calling to become a midwife and I looked at her and I was like you're out of your fucking mind a in my family you go to the hospital you get the drugs that the doctor tells you to get you birth your baby they clean your baby 
they put a bow on your baby and you take your baby home and you raise your child. That's what I thought like childbirth and parenting was. B, I'm not going to help women birth outside by trees in a teepee because <laughs> I didn't understand what midwifery was. I, I'm the other side. I'm the person who judged this. I am not the person who believed in this. So um, I was like, okay, fine. Nothing else is working in my life. So I'll check out this midwifery thing. Really, that's, that was my attitude. And I sat down for the first time in my life to meditate. And I was like, okay, God, spirit, universe, whoever you are that's giving me these dreams, here's the deal. I've already checked it out in Los Angeles. I cannot find an apprenticeship to save my life. I am not going to go back into debt. And I am not moving outside of LA to go to some like school to become this midwife thing. So I listed my demands of what I wanted to, to do the midwifery training. And within a month, my demands were met. And I still remember the day that I received my apprenticeship because I'd called my sister. My sister, who is my biggest fan, who is a birthing extraordinary woman who would not birth outside of the hospital for life dependent on it. She loves the hospital birthing. It's my biggest supporter. And I remember calling her up and I kept saying, if I get this apprenticeship, I'm going to be the happiest person in the world. And if I don't get this apprenticeship, I'm going to be the happiest person <laughs> in the world. And I got it and I felt like I'd won the lottery. And that was the beginning of my journey into becoming an adult. That was the beginning of my journey into understanding a woman's body and how amazing it is. That's when the moms and the babies began to teach me. That's when I learned humility. That's when I learned trust. And coming into midwifery for me has been the singular greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And I always say birthing babies is what it's all about, but birthing babies is just the tip of the iceberg here. So um, we're very excited to have her here. And I feel like we're going to have a lot to talk about. So I kind of just like to jump right in. Let's do it. We'll be right back. Okay, we are back with Elizabeth Bachner. Am I saying it right? Yes, you are. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for coming and sitting with us. It's so great to meet you. And um, we were saying earlier when we introduced you that um, the way that we found you was on Instagram. And I'm going to start off by reading the post that Elizabeth reposted because um, it's so powerful. She says, this birth was challenging for me, rocking me to my basic core. That very last insanely sleep-deprived, stubborn, exasperated, what the fuck am I doing doula moment where after being present for over 40 hours, for a family I was emotionally bonded to before they got pregnant, I reached my lowest low. We all did. We were all drained, wilted, and gray, navigating the heave of a labor while all the while the story between nature and technology gradually rose around us. The conflict, not spoken in words yet hovering in thought, was that word, epidural. My client was in distress, struggling stubbornly to prove she could do it without pain relief, but knowing she had pushed herself far, far past her threshold. So my low one was, that still is, of anger. Anger at all the women and men with influence like Ricky Lake and Michael Odent who have fear-mongered mothers away from interventions such as epidurals when in fact they are a wonderful tool when used with intelligence and wisdom. Anger at all the fearful and false information being spread about epidurals as a tactic to keep mothers away from the hospital or scared of hospital and hospital personnel. Anger for all the mothers who have been encouraged to believe that they are not woman enough or strong enough or worthy enough unless they face labor without drugs. Anger for all the mothers who have moved from coping to suffering in agony for hours and hours through the unrelenting fierceness of contractions, with or without Pitocin, under the idea this pain was good pain, was important pain, was pain they deserved. Anger for all the teachers and authors who have taught other doulas that epidurals equate to failure or the enemy, and all the doulas who now carry on that mantra. Anger for the unnecessary guilt and pain. I was angry, and in this anger, I found my focus, my compassion, and my ability to gently and firmly guide my client with the help of her nurse midwife into the safety and trust and permission that getting an epidural was the ne next best thing, and it was. So beautifully said. Who who was it that said that again? It is. Uh, well, you know, we have her by at she knows of moss. Uh, let's click on it. Mm -hmm. uh, Stepha Lawson. 
And I do not know her. It is so beautiful and so poetic how she said it. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, even as I was just reading it again, I was thinking like the the strength and the integrity of the words that she used. Um, You know, and and Ellie and I run into this with this podcast. I mean, I with with my personal Instagram that I have as an actress, I'll post things up. And I feel like you have to be so careful because anytime you say something in support of um, celebrating how you did something, which is fantastic, mm-hmm. and we highly encourage people to stand up and be proud, um, there's also a, an, a chance that you let you let um, someone be alienated or left out. And I remember just recently you were posting of the National um, uh, Worldwide Breastfeeding Week. Mm-hmm. And so I put up my picture of breastfeeding and at the end of it, I said, uh, I also honor all of those women who choose not to breastfeed or to breastfeed that it makes you no more or less of a mother. Um, and someone wrote on my uh, on my Instagram feed and said, I couldn't. So it wasn't a choice. I couldn't do it. And and I felt horribly because I thought, you know, oh, God, I neglected that part of it. But there there's so many levels and forms of the way that we choose to do things or not choose or have our experience happen to us. Um, and we're just on this journey. And I mean, Ellie and I, our whole purpose behind this is to include everyone and to let mm-hmm. everyone feel loved and supported. And um, so that's that you're speaking to what I believe is women's women's wisdom our way of being in the world is sisters supporting sisters it's offering up choice and it's not saying this choice is good and that choice is bad Um, I feel that's an outdated paradigm of uh, it's an outdated way of thinking so it's this idea like okay so we have these choices for the hospital yeah and then we can add to those choices and we can say we have more choices if you're low risk which is outside of a hospital it's not out of hospitals, good. Hospital is bad. I mean, it's so polarized. That's that's old school. Yeah. We're, we're moving out of that. It's the same thing where you're referencing the breastfeeding. So you're posting a picture of yourself breastfeeding to celebrate that, but you're not saying, and if you don't breastfeed, that's bad. Yeah. And people yeah. are Couldn't. assuming that, yeah. assuming that either or perspective right. when it's not actually happening. But it kind of reminds me of if I saw a picture of, someone celebrating that they just completed a marathon I wouldn't write on there well I had this leg tumor I can't run a marathon and I feel bad about that Mm -hmm. like that yeah is there an analogy there or not does that seem like out of left field no, I un- I totally understand what you're saying, and Elizabeth, I'll let you I'll let you say what you were going to say because I can. Yeah. So it's it's um I don't have wording for this exactly, but it's almost like the spaces in between. Your the the woman who has run that marathon is celebrating. It's the celebration. So she has a celebration in her life of running that marathon. Where are the celebrations in our life? Not right. where are the marathons we have run. Where are the celebrations? Where have I, as a woman, heard my intuition on the inside and it has spoken to me clearly and I know that's what I need to do to keep myself safe, to protect my child, to have a strong family. Not There's so much focus on what it looks like. It it drives me a little bananas. (laughs) (laughs) In the words of my sister. I I love that. But not, I mean, it's like, it's like, so the the idea for Graceful came about when I was a student and I was uh, training at a birth center and I watched all of these moms and, you know, they're they're doing the chiropractic and they're getting the candles and they're taking the class and they're doing the mantras. And some of them have would have these beautiful water births with the candles and the crystals and, you know, it's all gorgeous. And, and then they'd have the baby in their arms and they look at the baby and they go, well, I don't know what to do. Mm. And then I would see other moms, same kind of preparation, and they'd end up in a C-section and they're traumatized, but they'd still look at the baby and go, well, I don't know what to do. And it was like, why are we putting so much focus on what we want a birth to look like? And I feel it's important to shift the focus to what are we feeling inside? Where is the connection? So when we work with women, we're trying to work with not just who you are as a woman, but help you birth yourself as a mother. 
Yeah, oh, that's so beautiful. So who are you as a mother without neglecting who you are as a woman? And partners are really important. I want to make sure we don't forget them, even though our conversation may not be about them. Uh, Partners being a man or a woman, they're also birthing themselves as a father or another mother. But there's two parts. So when you have your experience of birth as a woman, you as a woman might be disappointed But you as a mom are elated and both of those things can be there at the same time. And I think we're ignoring it in our society. Well, and I also find too um, that it's it's also not linear. Like if you had an amazing birth and let's say you had an amazing first couple of months like I did, that doesn't necessarily mean the last couple of months or of the first year or the next year of the first three years are going to be amazing. Like you, like I've had so many conversations with girlfriends where my experience was this couple of months was great. This couple of months really sucked. And theirs was exactly the opposite. I mean, it's not, none of it is, it's always flowing, always in movement, always in transition. It, just because you have a good day doesn't mean tomorrow's going to be bad. Just because you have a bad day doesn't mean tomorrow's right. going to be good. I mean, it's, Right. So this is part of the insanity of, I think, our American culture. We actually think if there's there's a problem, we can fix it. It's this masculine, nothing wrong with men, but it's that masculine way of thinking, problem nail, hammer, hammer the nail, fix the problem. And yeah. you, you said the words that I'm so attracted to, which is it's not linear. You know, yeah. a word that we also miss in our culture is that of initiation. You know, when I heard the words that the woman wrote on Instagram, it sounded like an initiation she's going through. So when a mom is in labor and it's hard, it's like we're made to do this. It's not just we're made to birth a baby. We are made to go through challenging times and hear our intuition on the inside that will guide us as to what to do so we have clarity. I see empowerment as clarity, not what it looks like. So if a mom is in this hard, dark place and she looks up and she goes, I know what I need and I need an epidural. Okay, good. You know, and you can hear that clarity, but that's different than a mom is like, I just, I want an epidural and I, you know, I hate this. And, and what she's really saying is I need more support. Mm -hmm. I need someone to tell me that my baby is safe and that my body is safe and that I can go through this. Yeah, you know, that's different. But again, it's not linear in that way. And, you know, in birth, you just don't know what's going to come up. We have we have no idea. I mean, my job is to make sure mom is safe and baby safe and stays low risk. And we take our job very seriously in that way as medical board licensed midwives. But other than that, you know, if how can I assume a baby's not going to come out of a vagina? <laughs> like like the vagina is magical. I mean, yeah. we see things that happen. I mean, we might think it's small and then all of a sudden the baby comes out or, you know, someone might say your baby's big, but I don't have x-ray eyes. I don't know what's going inside with her pelvis and the baby could just fly right out. Right. You, you know, I feel like they're so often wrong about the size of the baby anyway. Okay. So here's my personal E. Bachner philosophy. Love it. All right. So, and, and um, if, if I was a doctor at a hospital and I thought that my mom's coming in were giving me all the pressure to make sure everything went perfectly and smoothly. And those moms were not going to do unmedicated because I don't know about unmedicated as a doctor. I don't know about low-risk childbirth per se. I'm just an expert in high risk. And most of my moms, I'm going to assume, are going to come and have an epidural. So those moms are on an epidural and they can't move from the waist down, okay? Birth is a dynamic process. The baby's always moving. Mom's body is moving. So there's a a dance going on. And in that dance, you've got the baby moving in relationship to the pelvis, the pelvis moving to open up to allow baby to come down. If that's not happening and mom's on an epidural, this is not a bad, it's just a fact. She can't move. I'm going to be a little nervous about a big baby. Right? Right. Because how am I going to get mom's pelvis to move and open up to make room for that baby? Another way of thinking, which is not being talked about, is a lot of the stories that we hear where it's like a horror story, 
and they're, everyone's like, oh, thank God I was in a hospital. You know, my first question is, was mom on an epidural? Was, she's on a, was she on Pitocin? Again, not bads, but we got to put it in perspective. When you're on an epidural, you are no longer high risk because the baby needs to be monitored all the time and you can't move. When you're on Pitocin and you're getting the uterus to do something it's not ready to do, you want a surgical room across the hall yes. in case there's an emergency. Right. So you're having the body do something it's not necessarily ready to do and maybe in an induction situation even though you might need the induction trying to be inclusive but you're getting the body to do something it's not ready to do you're getting the body to not be able to move which it's made to do so if the baby's big there's a high chance it's going to get stuck right doesn't, isn't that like kind of common sense? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm having so, flashbacks to being in the tub and like being told to turn to one side. And that's when like she finally moved enough to like get yeah. out of the tub and get to the hospital bed. Because yeah. I had a natural birth at a hospital. So it was like, mm-hmm. but that was that shift. It was like you took that one little turn over and like how strange to just move your body in a certain way. And then it was enough. Right. To and so make you're. Her move. And you're opening up the hips in a certain way. And who knows what's going on inside with her if she had a hand up by the mouth and just needed extra room there, or, you know, because she's working and trying to fit also. Yeah. That's wild. Isn't that amazing? With when you also speak about, because we have to talk about Haiti at some point okay. in this conversation, you, you mention um, in an article you wrote about Haiti that the mother's crazy. heart rate it's craziness was, over there. The, the, the baby's heart rate was low. And I've definitely had heard of women having babies where it's like oh well their heart rate's low so we're gonna induce and so i'd love to know like if you have a mother at your birthing center and the heart rate is low how do you handle that right so we are an accredited birthing center and within that we have protocols and we are very clear about what is low risk and what is high risk and it's based on evidence-based medicine so we have that structure and that protocol um to reference it back to haiti when I was there at a birth center, living, eating, drinking, sleeping, birth, you know, this is me on vacation. This is what I do. How many months were you there? I, I wasn't there for months. I was there for okay. three weeks. And I, I, um, I was with my dear friend who's also going to be a, a graceful midwife, Jocelyn, up in Portland. She was there for like a couple months. And I joke with her all the time. And I was like, I think I left two days before I was going to go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> because... I, I was in this situation. First of all, I went there thinking, oh, I'm a midwife. I'm going to do gentle childbirth, right? And it's a, it's a birth center. Okay, 45 minutes away down a dirt and rock path to the closest hospital. And if you go at night, it's like there's like gunmen on the road. Oh, my God. Right? Wow. So we're, we're, I'm like, okay, so in L.A., if we have a problem... <laughs> In about three minutes, 911's going to show up. And about three minutes later, we'll be at Children's. That's about six minutes. Okay, that's plenty of time in case, you know, something comes outside of normal, right? Okay, these women, we, we're not even differentiating low risk, high risk. You know, in America, I know what their hemoglobin level is. I know if they're GBS positive or negative. I know if they've got syphilis, HIV, um, you know, hepatitis. I mean, it's so, there's so much information. And I walk in there and I'm like, we don't even know their hemoglobin levels are. Like, what happens if they and bleed? In labor. And, and they're like, in labor. nice to meet you. I'm going to be delivering your you know, And it's not even nice to meet you because we don't even speak the same language. <laughs> Language. Oh, my, oh my God. It was insanity, absolute insanity for me. And it taught me so much. And I, I talked to a, an OBGYN friend after this experience, and I wrote about it, and it's on Medium. And, you know, the heart rate would go down to 60, and we'd be there. It'd be like 10 minutes. And I'd gotten past the point of freaking the fuck out. What should a heart rate be for a baby in labor? When a heartbeat for a baby in labor is between 120 and 160. Oh, my God. Right. (laughs) When you hit 60, you're like, you know, especially at a hospital, you're just like, get her into a C-section. I hear it at home. And it's like, we, I don't, we we rarely hear it that low at home. You don't let it get to that point. No, we don't let it get to that point. And if I do hear a dip going down while we're in labor with a low risk mom, um, I'm going to think, okay, cord compression. Again, my mom's not an epidural. So I get my mom up and I move her into a different position. And it's like, oh, that's disappeared. Okay, we're not going to get you into all fours anymore because when we do that, you're lying on the cord. Again, birth is a dynamic process. The baby is moving. The mom is moving. Half an hour later, maybe she gets back onto all fours and that that dip isn't there anymore because the cord's just moved out of the way. It's always moving. 
right? Right. No one teaches this, right? No, it's just so amazing to me about the movement too, like this idea that you can move through things, like that our bodies. Well, also, also too. Sorry, I totally yeah. interrupted you. No. Um, also, though, I think I, I've heard so many people say to me, like, "Well, the cord was wrapped around the neck." But right. Then my midwife told me, like, that's actually not that big of a deal. No, it's not that big of a deal. So, if the- oh, good. I, this is a good trigger conversation. <laughs> We're gonna get a lot of like great mail so, on this one. So, the cord around the neck again. Mom is on an epidural. And mom is receiving Pitocin. She cannot move and she's having something um, affect her uterus in a way it may not be ready for. And the cord is around the neck. What is the body going to say? The body's going to say, this doesn't work, right. right? And it's going to give a clear message that the baby can't come out vaginally with the epidural and with the Pitocin. Not a problem because you're at a hospital surgical room across the hall. You get the baby out or you stop the Pitocin, Okay. We're at home, low risk mom, cords around the neck. I'm, I'm hearing the dips and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Sounds like we've got some cord compression or maybe a cord around the neck, all right? If the cord is around the neck and it's really not a good thing, the uterus has wisdom and it's, it's not going to like force the baby out. Like I'm gonna see a pattern that slows down or I'm gonna hear something that's gonna be like, wow. And the baby's not gonna progress and the cervix is not gonna open up and it's gonna be like, you know what? Your body's talking to me and your baby's talking to me and it's sounding like an out of hospital birth is not a good idea, right? Right. Say it's, okay. So then you take- We take the mom to the hospital. hospital And she gets an epidural or- We we figure out what's going on. But the reason we're going to the hospital is because the baby needs to be monitored more than our protocols. It needs to be monitored 24 seven. You want a surgical room. If I heard that my that there was a cord around the neck, like yes, I'd go to the hospital, but also I think my whole body would like seize up because I'd be in such panic that there's no way I could just Okay, so let me give you a little more information about the how awesome our bodies are. The cord itself is wrapped with what we call um, like a bubble wrap and it's called Wharton's jelly. That Wharton's jelly is around the cord because it's meant to take the impact of contractions from the uterus. So it's, it's, you know, the cord can be around the neck a couple times. You've got that Wharton's jelly around all the vessels and arteries protecting it. You're having contractions, but it's made to do that. And it's not like the baby's not breathing because they're not breathing anyway. They're getting their right. oxygen Through from the that cord. cord. Okay. They're not using their lungs at that point, but the Wharton's jelly is protecting it in a way so that it's made to do this. Okay. okay. So now let's say the cord is wrapped around a couple times and it makes that cord really short. So normally we have a long cord so baby can come out of the vagina and into the world. So now say we've got a really short cord, what's going to happen? the baby's not going to be well applied to the cervix or maybe as the mom starts to push, the baby's not going anywhere, right? Right. It's not, excuse me, it's not an emergency per se, but it's like, okay, so you're you're doing this and it's not happening. I'm not going to force it at home. I'm going to say, what's the wisdom here? What am I hearing? Your body and your baby is communicating to me that baby doesn't want to come at home. Your body and baby are saying it needs another layer of support. And that support looks like an intervention calls, called 24-7 monitoring, which we don't do outside of the hospital. We do it at a hospital. And we do it with a surgical room across the hallway in case there's an emergency. Your body is letting me know it needs an intervention. Your baby's letting me know that. Okay, let's go. You haven't failed. We're listening. Right. Do you feel and that's like- it because so many moms say, like feel failure. Or because they end up with a C-section, especially a lot of moms that go down the path of trying to have a natural birth. Mm -hmm. And then they, because of, you know, all of these issues that we've already discussed, they're told, no, you like, you need to have the Pitocin. Okay. Then it turns into C-section and then they end up with this like horrible feeling of that they failed their baby because they didn't have that experience. Right. Okay. So let's go back to that word natural. This is a personal theory of mine that I kind of came up with. And if um, I upset anybody, I apologize. But I haven't met anybody here who has walked through my door who's really having a natural childbirth. It's my opinion that nature has a life cycle and a death cycle. And it is really, I understand 100% why no mom is walking through that door going, hey, it's okay if my baby dies, right? 
Right. No, no one's no one here in America is interested in that. There is a there's a place out of Spain that is off the grid. I've heard about a place in Costa Rica again off the grid where they're really allowing nature to be in its fulfillment. And if something should happen to the child, people are okay with that. I think that's fine. My medical board license isn't allowing that. And personally, I don't think I'm comfortable with it. Okay. So you're saying a totally natural is like where you would never have the option of going to the hospital, or like of, of intervention. It's, it's not, I, I, I hear your words with that, but my perspective is more you allowing for nature to be fully expressed, which is. That's what a natural birth right, is to you. Got to it. To me, you have a life cycle and a death cycle. Nobody wants the death part of that cycle. Fine. So what we do at Graceful is we do unmedicated childbirth, right? We're not using the medication, but we're open to interventions that are considered low risk that we can use outside of the hospital. And if we need high risk interventions, we're going to the hospital. Here's the difference in what I would like to see in the movement as we as women support each other is let's use interventions as they were created for necessary reasons, right? There's a difference between unnecessary and necessary, and I think there's a lot of women right now who are upset over the unnecessary interventions, where their body hasn't been respected, where the baby hasn't been respected. Doctors and hospitals who are not practicing evidence-based medicine, it's a problem. When an episiotomy is done routinely, I'm not talking about an emergency situation where the evidence supports, use your episiotomy scissors to get the baby out because you're saving a life. It's not what I'm talking about. That's necessary. I'm talking about the routine use of episiotomy scissors that are unnecessary. That's the big word. That's what I'd like to see our um, vocabulary using more. Is that helpful? Absolutely. The unnecessary thing is so, that word just like brings me right back to my, our birthing day. Because I remember when I got to the hospital, my water had broke and they wanted to check and see how far along I was. And, but I, and I was like, well, no, because that's not necessary yet. I'm not right. having the baby right now. It's not necessary for you to right. stick things in me yet because then I'm, I was like, that means I'm going to be on the clock, right? right. And, and the they're like, evi- yes, So the, they just have a checklist. Mm-hmm. So evidence-based care and evidence-based medicine states, once the water breaks, you don't want to do a lot of vaginal exams, especially when there's no labor going on. I mean, there's other exactly. things you look for, and there might be reasons why you want to do it. And right. you want to make sure the water's not breaking because you have an infection or there's something else going on. Yeah. But that's evidence-based medicine you're talking about. Right. I would love to no see hospitals and doctors to, to practice evidence-based medicine. Yeah, because I didn't need to be checked because I asked. And she's like, oh, yeah, no, no, you don't have to. But just let me know because, you know, she wanted to know because mm-hmm. they just wanted, yeah. they're curious. <laughs> she wanted, she was doing her job, but that job wasn't necessary at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I my experience was interesting because I am the daughter of uh, two medical professionals. My uh-huh. father was an anesthesiologist. My mom did he uh, get a lot of fruit baskets. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember actually. Why do you get a lot of? Fruit no, baskets? I'm just saying the anesthesiologist. It's always when a mom gets her epidural, she's oh, like, she "You get a fruit basket." Because <laughs> I love them. Yes, and they work. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my mom, my mom was a registered nurse, and she now teaches nursing. Um, so you know, a Western-based mm-hmm. medicine. Um, I always, I remember my earliest memory of um, the maternity ward because I would go to have dinner with my dad at the cafeteria when he was on call at the hospital here in here in town. And no, in, I grew up um, just outside of Seattle. Okay. And um, I would sit. Was in it cap- Seattle Grace? It was from Grace Anatomy. Okay, too bad. It was not. It was Stevens Memorial Hospital. Unfortunately, it was not as uh, as snazzy sounding as that. Um, but I remember sitting with him in the cafeteria, and it was on the same level as the maternity ward. And there was this ramp that went up into the maternity ward, and I would see the women who were in labor walking the halls, mm-hmm. and. I was terrified. I remember thinking, I'm never doing that. I'm never having a child. That's so scary. Like, for me, the one thing was like, there's only one way out of that. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, and so cut to, uh, you know, many years later and I got pregnant and I was, I knew that I wanted to have an unmedicated birth. Um, I have a somewhat, uh, you know, scary view of hospitals only just because my dad was really sick my entire life. And so I spent a lot of time in hospital visiting sick he was sick, sick people. My um, my brother had a severe accident. The, the hospital was not a place you went to celebrate. Mm-hmm. The hospital was a place to go and worry. And But it was the only thing I knew. 
I mean, I didn't know anyone who had had a home birth. Right. Um, and so I was with a midwife who retired 15 weeks into my pregnancy. And did you take it personally? A little bit. I, <laughs> a little bit. I mean, I, I felt like I did. I, to be honest, I felt a little abandoned, but I understood. She gave me her reasons. Um, FYI, I don't think she ended up actually retiring. So whatever. <laughs> but, She's like, I'm going to take that month off. I'm going to take April off because Magnolia is yeah. coming. Um, and I couldn't. And, but this midwife, this particular had privilege, privileges at one of the best hospitals in mm-hmm. Los Angeles. And so I didn't have to be there with the doctor. And I really didn't want to go to the hospital with a doctor. So I thought, could I possibly envision myself having a home birth? Um, and the first time I mentioned it to my mom, she said, are you freaking crazy? And she said, there are so many risks. And, um, and then I found this one midwife and I went and had a meeting with her and I was sold. I was like, I was still nervous. There was still a part of me that was like, I don't personally know anyone who's done this. It seems mm-hmm. very scary. Uh, and then over time, over the next couple of months of my pregnancy, I just started to realize how awesome this was like I was going to be in my house right I was going to be able to have my husband cook me meals I was going to be able to walk down the street if I wanted to all these amazing things came about but and then be and be in the family bed after which I think is the most amazing part oh yeah well and by the way let's talk about how my daughter will eventually have the bed that she was born in right um which is such a cool thing oh I feel so bad for Magnolia now (laughs) she's like mom I don't want your you should like I don't want your 30 year old mattress mom (laughs) I'll say it for right now I don't want your my placenta juices and like where I was made and then where I was delivered well that's a lot of baggage you're gonna be like she'll have a different mattress <laughs> okay okay there i'm glad we clarified because i was just thinking of the mattress yeah moving truck's gonna arrive on her oh wedding night and it's gonna be the bed and, it, and she's gonna do like an eye roll like oh god, oh god. <laughs> um but i but my point being that like it was a very foreign concept to me and i understand because i've done a lot of wacky things um, in my 20s and 30s, it was a little easier for me to wrap my head around that versus somebody who has only known hospital birth. I get it. Right. Like, I get why that's just not an option and why that may be something that somebody's not interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think that there are both sides to that coin, which is that there are the people that are so pro um, what we know as natural birth, which you mm-hmm. have kind of redefined, and I love that on this podcast. Um, and then there are the people that are hardcore. I I'm going to the hospital and I'm having this scheduled, and it's right. going to be this. Um, and I I think that the hard part is like, where do we get to the place where you can do what you want to do, and that's fine, and I can do what I want to do, and that's fine. Right. That's and that's what I define as women's wisdom in a woman's way. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm watching you describe it. You've got one hand with the natural and one hand with the hospital and they're on opposite sides. It's that polarity thing. Yeah. You know, what we're talking about is just more choice. Yeah. You know, and, and again, simple, simple information. If you're low risk, you have more choice. If you're high risk, your choices are limited as opposed to one or the other. Uh, One of the places I think a lot of healing could happen is if hospitals start to repair the distrust that so many women have. I mean, hospitals, hear me, you have an opportunity, okay? You have an opportunity to make a lot of money here by respecting a mom and seeing her as a person and a human being and hearing her. Start defining the difference between low risk and high risk childbirth within your hospital. And if you have a mom who's low risk, Start doing evidence-based care for low-risk moms. Start learning about water birth and how it's safe for low-risk moms. Start training your doctors on how to do water birth, okay? There's a whole program for that. Start healing that. You've got women coming in creating families, right? You look at this as the couture line in the hospital, right? They're coming in, they're creating families, they have a great experience in the water, unmedicated, epidural, cesarean. They are seen, they are heard, they are honored. Their intuition is honored. Nobody looks at them and goes, well, at least you had a safe baby. I mean, that's so dismissive. Who doesn't want a healthy 
baby in a safe pregnancy, right? Everybody loves their child. Honor that. They come out, they have a good experience. Guess what, hospitals? They're going to come back to you for all the broken bones. They're going to come back to you for the pneumonias. They're going to recommend your hospital to their friends, and your business is going to grow for when there's sickness, which is where all the money is to be made. And they might have more babies, too. Right? I have a lot of friends who held out because they had such traumatic experiences at the hospital that they're scared to death to have another one. What do you say to mothers who who think, I think this idea of doing it at home is fabulous or going to a birthing center is fabulous but I'm not going to do it because I couldn't live with myself if anything happened because it feels like to a lot of women maybe it feels like if I do it at the hospital and something terribly goes wrong at least I've done everything in my power. But if I do it at home or if I do it at a birthing center and something goes horribly wrong, I will have to live with that for the rest of my life my that I wasn't at the hospital because I wanted this other way. Right. I, I think that we have to come out of ignorance and into um, intelligent wisdom. First of all, educate yourself about the difference between low-risk birth and high-risk birth. You interview people outside of the hospital and say, what are your protocols? Do you do risk assessment at every prenatal? Every prenatal, I'm assessing the risk of my moms. I practice safe childbirth because I have doctors I can talk to if a mom goes from low risk to high risk and I consult. So what are, what are a couple of those reasons that someone would go to high risk for you? Right. Like what would High blood pressure. Mm-hmm. There's a high chance mom is going to have a seizure during labor. I don't want her outside of the hospital. I want a surgical room across the hall. You know, something called cholestasis, having signs of something called preeclampsia. It is a state law in California for my licensure, which is a medical board license, that I am not allowed to birth twins or breaches at home. I'm not allowed to birth babies before 37 weeks or after 42 weeks. Those are state laws. Every state's got different um, laws around midwifery. So there's a, um, for instance, up in Oregon, it's not considered... Um, that high risk to birth a breach at home or a twin at home, right? But that's how it is in California. Um, what else? If Yes, go ahead. What about when it goes, so let's say, so that makes sense to me. I'm like, okay, great. So if I know ahead of time, then... Or during labor. Or during labor. I think the fear is, what if it's a matter of moments Okay. minutes or so how? Is that I, so rare that that's not... right? So this is, and, I, and again, I want to preface this for all the women who've experienced it. It is a horrible, devastating thing to happen and to be in that place. But what is not doing any service is that hospitals aren't talking about the things that come out of left field that they can't save the lives of those babies either. And we're talking about anomalies. We're talking about a cord that might not be attached properly to the placenta. And there's no ultrasound that's going to tell you that beforehand. It's coming out of left field. Moms at home at a birth center or the hospital, it's not going to make a difference. And I am sorry to say that, but the evidence doesn't show otherwise. I'm talking about the out of left field things that an ultrasound can't talk, can't show you, or being in a surgical room with a doctor who is prepped through your whole pregnancy, isn't going to make a difference either. Right. But, I mean, are there those things? Are mm-hmm. there those things that that there it could come out of left field, but it could be? It could be helped if you were at a hospital? I mean, are there um, situations? What I have been told is that because of the C-section rate that we are doing, we are... Because of the higher C-section rate in America, what we're starting to understand and see is that we're not actually saving the lives and that childbirth isn't causing these poor outcomes. There's something that might be happening in utero with the baby before the baby's being born. Got it. And that's the place that is this big, huge gray area of unknown that we don't have answers to. That just makes me so sad for moms who have a situation like this at a birth center or at home because for the you know mm-hmm. because society will would say well if you had had it at a hospital even though that's you're saying that that's not true it, and like it, it's so it's so like, like how 
awful. It's awful. It is horrible. And as a care provider, you know, I am hard on myself as a midwife to make sure that everything that I do, I can be responsible and accountable for because I don't have malpractice insurance. Yeah. So I can't just go, oh, it didn't work. You don't like it. Sue me. I've got insurance. No, I don't have it. I am literally, when I go into a birth, I am putting my livelihood, my profession, you know, if something happens at home, it's not just hurting me. It's hope it's, it's, it's hurting a whole bunch of midwives who my sister midwives next to me behind me who have come in front of me again. And this is part of that women's way of thinking. It's this circular yeah. Elizabeth, you uh-huh. mentioned earlier that giving birth isn't what it's all about. You said that, you know, some moms have the candles and they want to have the perfect birth, but then they have the baby and they don't know what to do with the baby. Mm-hmm. So can you give our mothers some tips on like how to connect with their newborns? So it's, it's my belief that when a mom is pregnant, she's getting to know who she is as a mother. And one of the things that she can do is get to know herself as an adult Mm -hmm. and as that mother. So I learned this from one of my teachers, Ray Castellino, and I always say to my moms, so you want to put on your mommy hat. You want to practice that while you're pregnant and making decisions. When you interview a doctor, put on your mommy hat and ask the questions in the place of being the mother of your child. When you're having conversations with your partner, if there is a partner, ask your partner to put on their daddy hat or their mommy hat. And the two of you come together and you talk from that place to make a decision, right? So as the mother of your child, do you want your mother-in-law in the room while you're giving birth or not? <laughs> You know, maybe as the wife of your husband, you'd want your mother-in-law there. Oh, it's such a good But point. as the mother of your child, you don't want her in that room. Those are two different places. You practice that while you're pregnant, putting your mommy hat on. And I'm just going to say daddy hat. But again, there's other women who are also partners. And then by the time the baby's born, you're used to making decisions together as as, as adults and as parents of this child. So then when you go home postpartum and you're in the room and maybe you are breastfeeding, you can put your mommy hat on and go, you know what, actually, I don't want all of my girlfriends coming over today because as the mother of my child, I really need to spend time in bed sleeping mm-hmm. and learning how to do this new dance, this new breastfeeding thing with my child, right? And then as the baby grows into a toddler and you're looking at where to go to school, right? You can put on your mommy hat and you can walk into that school and say, you know what? This is not okay that you're doing this as the mother of your child. You start practicing that. You start learning it. And then you start to see who you are as a mom, all right? And if all of us women can start knowing that place in ourselves and get comfortable with who we are as mothers, who we are as adults. Maybe we will stop judging other women's choices. And you can say, well, as the mother of my child, that choice doesn't work yeah. for me. We but, have different looking mommy hats. Right. Now, do you respect each other as moms? Yes. Absolutely. No, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying like, yeah. we can say that. I got really excited. Are, 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 Everyone's are, like, what are you talking about? I'm like, <laughs> I'm yeah. saying because we have different mommy hats, like that's why we make different choices. Like if you made a mommy hat, if you had construction paper and a bunch yeah. of different stuff to make your mommy hat, our mommy hats would look so different. Why do you, and that's why, why do you yeah, think we, why? that's... But, but you would celebrate yes. the fact that you both have mommy hats. Yeah. And yeah. We can, you can come together there. Different. Where do you think that that started? Where, where do you think that it happened that we... We begin to really doubt ourselves and therefore stand in judgment of others because it scares us about the decisions we're making. I am starting to learn that that's the big feminist issue. Really? Yeah. You know, it's, it's the judgment of other people, um, competition, judgment, polarity, um, insecurities in ourselves. So we've got to be better than somebody else. Yeah. Not knowing what we want or being told what we should want, knowing that goes against what, what we know is true for our family or for ourselves. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I've said it many times on this podcast that a lot of times I'll look at things. I I don't think that social media is helping that cause. And it's so weird. On one way, it's really helping the cause because mm-hmm. we find our, our tribe and we find our circle and we find the people that we can reach out to and connect with. But on the other hand, you also get to see where other people are doing it differently. And it's like the highlight reel of, of their movie as opposed mm-hmm. to like all the the dirt and the and the grime and all the stuff that makes up the movie. And so then you like feel very small because you're like wow she's doing everything looks perfect in her world and it's not perfect in mine and right so then you feel very small um and and then you have to give yourself a reason why oh that's not okay because that you know so it's i feel like on on the both sides it's like it is it's so helpful and it's so hurtful mm-hmm. it's like and i think that's why we were all drawn to that post because yeah. it was very raw and very real and very vulnerable. And at the same time, where there's the expression of the hurt and the truth and the anger, there's a strength in that. I, I also think within our society, we are ready to redefine what vulnerability means. Mm-hmm. I think vulnerability means strength. I think that's a woman's power. Yeah. Our superpowers. Yeah. Our, superpowers. <laughs> our vulnerability well, cape. I'm so grateful for that post also because it brought you our way. And I feel like this could just be the beginning of a beautiful, a beautiful friendship and a beautiful uh, a relationship in terms of having a cause that we're moving forward and looking, viewing from the same direction or different directions coming in or however we choose to be. Uh-huh. Um, I, would, I would love that. We can talk about vaginas more and how magical they are. I know. Please. I want to know more. Okay. We'll be right back. <laughs> feel like I could keep talking uh for days about so much of what Elizabeth talked about I know Um, I feel like we hit so many topics and we should devote an episode to each one of them I know well she's she is super super informed on you know that's why I love always talking to to you know birth mamas very passionate I was very quiet for the first part of this because I was just taking in her energy there's a lot of passion there. Well, she's a, she is a strong woman. Yeah. She's, uh, oh, she's yeah. got a lot to say. And, and she came to our Soul Cycle event, which was did. so much fun. I know. It was so much fun. And we're she's actually going to help hook us up with some guests uh, as well for the podcast, which we're really excited to just open up and extend um, to the circle of the, of the Graceful Birthing family. And uh, you have a mom bomb for us, don't you? I do. Our mom bomb today is going to come from Dr. Shafali, who wrote The Conscious Parent. She's going to be an upcoming guest on Atomic Moms. You've probably seen her work with Oprah. She's amazing. And so here it is. When you parent, it's crucial you realize you aren't raising a mini-me, but a spirit throbbing with its own signature. Amen, sister. All right, guys. Trust in your goodness. Live out your greatness. Rock Rock on, on, Atomic Atomic Moms. Moms. If you like listening to comedy, try watching it on the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleichinger, Schleichinger. I've been friends with her for 10 years. One of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to youtube.com slash waitforitcomedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore. Because it's here. And it's funny. And I love you. A few days ago, Brooke Tudine posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and 3 comments. Thumbs up, Brooke. Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.